in this episode of Journeys in Research. And my goal was to understand what was happening in real schools, what were the needs of uh, children um, who have typically been underserved, of teachers who are serving that population, so that I could really ground my research in the needs of people, you know, for the things they really cared about. Today's guest, Dr. Alicia Rorig, sees her research as service in the community. She'll share how she helped bring the first Florida Freedom School to Leon County and continues to foster a collaborative dialogue with local school educators, seeing everyone involved as service leaders who can all contribute to research. I'm Evangeline Coker, and you're listening to Journeys in Research. Journeys in Research is a podcast conceived by FSU's Office of Research Development as an on-the-go resource for faculty. In each episode, we'll hear from an FSU faculty member who will share stories from their research journey and, through that shared experience, help us understand the world of research beyond the college or departmental level. So no matter what field of study our guests come from, their journeys can relate to where we are today. Dr. Alicia Rorig is a professor and associate chair of the Department of Educational Psychology and Learning Systems at Florida State University, as well as coordinator for FSU's Learning and Cognition Program. She earned both her PhD and MA in developmental psychology from the University of Notre Dame. Rorig is the principal investigator and director of Purpose, Partners United for Research Pathways Oriented to Social Justice and Education. Funded by the Institute of Education Sciences, Purpose is dedicated to increasing diversity in the Doctorate of Education. Rorig is also the research co-director for Freedom Schools, a free summer camp offered at Florida A&M University Developmental Research School. FAMU DRS Freedom Schools provides an opportunity for children from Tallahassee's Southside communities to participate in free summer camps focused on reading texts by diverse authors and making a difference in the world. The Freedom Schools program is a descendant from the historic 1964 Freedom Summer in Mississippi, when free alternative schools were organized during the Civil Rights Movement with the goal of achieving equality in education. Alicia Rorig, thank you for meeting with me today. You're very welcome. I'm excited to be here. So you began at FSU in 2003 as an assistant professor and research faculty at FSU's Florida Center for Reading Research. Is that right? Yes. So I had a split appointment between the center and the College of Education in educational psychology, um, which was a really great opportunity for me. Um, This was my first uh, faculty position right out of graduate school, and I've been here ever since. Wow. What was it like when you first got here, that first faculty experience? Well, something that we talk a lot about with um, the fellows in our training program that we're trying to help get into grad school and then um, hopefully uh, join faculties and and make them more diverse is that we often feel uh, like an imposter syndrome where there's this awkward transition between you're a student and now you're a doctor and people are calling you doctor and now you're this faculty member. I remember sitting on like my first defense 
and thinking how, you know, how the tables had turned, how weird that was. Um, it was a really amazing experience that I think just after years, right, you sort of grow into. And then hopefully for most people that imposter syndrome sort of goes away. Um, but then when you take on new positions, right, then you sort of have to deal with that again. I think it's just sort of a normal, uh, a normal part of doing new things, though. So for new faculty who have that imposter syndrome this year, what would you encourage them with? Uh, I would encourage them to talk with their colleagues, their more senior colleagues, their other new junior colleagues that are just coming in. Um, you know, I mean, this in a pandemic, even even via Zoom, right? Uh, just to know you're you're not alone in that feeling. That really you will sort of grow into that new identity as you as you perform those roles and become more comfortable in them and um, that it'll, it'll pass. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. It's only temporary. I think so. But like I said, when then when you take on something new, you might feel that again. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're new to this full professor position. What advice would you give to faculty who are also new to that or becoming full, trying to find out how, how best to position themselves. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of faculty are at that associate professor um, level. I was at that level for a number of years and trying to find that groove um, and get what you need out to make a name for yourself so that you can um, become a full professor. And I think for me, um, the sabbatical was really key for that. And a piece of advice that I have for for all faculty is don't wait, right? After seven years, um, you can apply to take a sabbatical. Um, I did not do it right away. I was thinking about when am I having kids and when am I doing this Mm. and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, And so I put it off a couple of years. But when I did it, um, I I didn't go anywhere crazy. Like I didn't, I didn't go to another country and and live there because I, I, I did have a one child at that time. Um, I took the semester to go to the next county over to go to Gadsden County, uh, Florida's only majority uh, African-American county. So I went to Gadsden County and um, was able to visit in two schools a couple of days each week at each elementary school as a researcher in residence. And my goal was to understand what was happening in real schools, what were the needs of uh, children Um, who have typically been underserved, of teachers who are serving that population, so that I could really ground my research in the needs of people, you know, for the things they really cared about. Mm. Um, I think sometimes with our research, we can sort of get stuck in the ivory tower and not thinking about um, having our research be informed by what real people on the ground whose practices may be impacted by your research want or need. Mm -hmm. And so Really, I spent a lot of time just listening and watching um, and and learning and making connections. Um, and it was so valuable and inspiring. I hadn't been in schools that much since I had been in grad school and was observing dozens of, of classrooms. So it was really fun. Um, and one of the things um, that I think having that sabbatical, right, after I had become an associate professor, right, I'm not having to worry so much about that tenure grind. Um, Mm, I can mm -hmm. sort of think about how do I want to refocus my research? How can I make sure that it's addressing my passions to keep myself 
you know, invigorated and, and doing that work and putting the time into that work. Mm-hmm. And I was able to take my, um, you know, general focus on effective teaching and, and think about how it can uh, or needs to be um, positioned in terms of thinking about underserved populations. Mm. And so uh, I made a connection when I was in Gadsden um, with a, a student, a former student of FSU's College of Education, um, which I'm a faculty member in. Um, she was a special education uh, teacher and she was running a summer camp called Freedom Schools at uh, it's like a, a almost like an abandoned you know kind of um, building that wasn't being used um, in Gadsden County, um, running this camp for children for free uh, with volunteers. Um, they were learning about uh, they were learning about basically how to be a good citizen, voting, how do I make changes in my community, social action, focus mm-hmm. on social justice. Um, it was really amazing. And that was um, a really cool opportunity. I was able to bring in some of my students I was working with and help them with doing some research on that the following year. And then I also met another faculty member, um, a teaching faculty member in a different department in the College of Ed, who had done her dissertation on the historic Freedom Summer and the Freedom Schools Mm. that had been set up in the South. Mm-hmm. And she had personally worked in freedom schools. So freedom schools are, there's hundreds of them all over uh, the United States every year doing this uh, social justice curriculum, reading focused curriculum in the morning. Uh, the children, it's free to the children. Uh, they get a set of books that they get to take home. Um, and so what we did was I brought these these two awesome people together, um, Keely Norris and uh, Crystal uh, Clemens. And we were able to put together an opportunity for us to have freedom schools in Tallahassee, which had never been done. Mm, mm -hmm. And so that's when we started um, sort of expanding and having these summer opportunities. We would also make sure we built in um, evaluation processes, right, to help inform the work that we were doing in the schools, but also really layered. It was neat. We were able to bring in a lot of graduate students and undergraduate students um, in different roles, either in data collection or observation or as the teachers in the camp, Mm. for them to learn about culturally relevant uh, instruction and research. Uh, We just learned so much. Um, So then what happened after we did that, we were able to build more officially a training program around the Freedom Schools. That's called Purpose. Um, And with that, that, we were able to uh, get funded by the Institute for Education Sciences. Uh, It's called a Pathway Grant. It serves upperclassmen and beginning master's students from FAMU and FSU. Uh, We try to recruit a very diverse um, set of students who are interested in learning more about research potentially want to go to doc programs. And so we bring them in, we teach them all about research methods in the spring semester. And then in the summer, we have them at the camp helping us with the evaluation, helping them do their own research. And then in the fall, they write up their research, you know, finish their analyses. They present at a conference that we do. And we also help them with their goal statements for graduate school and practicing for the GRE and 
getting good letters of recommendation. Uh, so it's really come sort of full circle and we have all these layers of, of folks being um, getting something uh, meaningful out of the opportunity. And I really wouldn't have been able to do that without meeting folks through that sabbatical opportunity, right? That let me focus on my interests and passions. So you already had an interest in this type of outreach and work before the sabbatical, or was yes. that something that you discovered? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I always felt it was important, but I don't think my research was focused on it. I think I felt this need to focus on a population that was not getting the research and perhaps the support that it mm -hmm. needed. So mm -hmm. if we don't have different groups represented in the research, how can we say that the research that's been done applies to them, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I knew there was this important gap and I just really wanted to be sure that I was doing something that would be um, meaningful for people. That's always sort of driven the choices that I've made. So as far as sabbaticals, don't wait. When you get a chance to take it, dive in because you don't know when that chance is going to come again. Right. I mean, so it's got to be a good time for you, but I guess I would say don't let sort of the pressures of running your program and, and doing your classes uh, get in the way too long because you need to keep your you know, yourself invigorated with your research. And I think the sabbatical can really help you do that. Was there some kind of a preparation you needed to do or to get into the right headspace before starting that or, or something that a faculty member going into a sabbatical needs to keep in mind to, to make sure they maximize that time? I mean, for me, the things that I was worried about, like I said, was about children, but also, you know, thinking about, I, I'm part of a very small program with only a few faculty members in it. And so you sort of have to figure out how to balance who's going to take over which jobs you had been doing so that, mm. so that you can remove yourself and not be worried. Right. Mm. Mm -hmm. You just have to make sure that you do that. Um, you have to talk with your colleagues and figure out how to, how to make that space. And so that over the years, each of you will sort of have a turn to do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. My other colleague, she did that a couple of years later. And then um, our, our third colleague is applying for um, her sabbatical now. That's awesome. With North Florida Freedom Schools, that's now connected with the FAMU Developmental Research School. It yeah. sounds like, how, how did that connection happen? Right. So that, it, what um, Keely Norris and Crystal Clemens and I developed was the North Florida Freedom Schools, where we were doing these summer camps in um, local churches and uh, things like that. But what we did do was able to make connections with our colleagues at FAMU. And we were able to get a site at the FAMU DRS school and that really blossomed, right? So uh, even though uh, Crystal and Keeley have moved um, out of state and uh, Dr. Clemens is now the, um, uh, the national director for the Freedom Schools, which is really exciting. And I get to still work with her. Um, the, the Freedom Schools at, at um, the FAMU DRS have really blossomed, right? We've got uh, faculty there uh, who are also graduate students at FSU who are working on this, directing it. Um, they put a great team together and we've been able to build connections with them with my awesome grad students who are able to help them with things and are able to uh, work with 
the children and do the assessments we need to do. And we just look forward to doing it uh, every summer. Uh, we're not sure what'll happen uh, this next summer. Um, they're putting together options at the national level to do things online or hybrid mm-hmm. uh, if face-to-face is not possible. But we, I know we really missed having that opportunity this this past summer uh, mm. to do to do that. Uh, so with the Freedom Schools, it's all about serving the underserved communities. How, how does that service work with your research or with what interests you? Yeah, great question. Um, I think that's one of the most amazing parts of finally, you know, getting promoted to an associate professor is that you no longer have to worry about the fact that our service often doesn't count for as much as it should. Mm. That's something that I'd really uh, hope now as a full professor and um, gaining some more administrative uh, input that I can help change. Mm. Our, our research, I feel, should be in service to something and, and someone. Um, and if it's not, it's, it's hard to link the service and research pieces of our jobs together. So I feel like I've been amazingly lucky to be able to bring together um, my research interest and my desire to serve the community together at, at the same time. Mm-hmm. It really, that synergy is, is really helpful. And I think that's what helped me to make it to full professor by linking those things. So um, I've done similar things with other areas. I'm very uh, passionate about open access and working with uh, the libraries. I'm the chair of the Faculty Senate Library Committee. And over the years, we've worked very hard to help spread the word about how important it is to make our research available to the folks that we want to have read it. And part of that is making our articles free. And so, you know, I was able to work on that with colleagues and actually write up sort of a self-study about that that we had published. So I think finding a way to make a difference with your research at the same time can be really powerful. Yeah, I wanted to ask how how that focus on on service fits in with research. It sounds like you, being in education, you're almost set up to make it service, to make your research service. Yeah, I, I, I think, though, that even in a field like education, where you would think that service and, and research would always go hand in hand, that sometimes it does not, right? Sort of the traditional view about research sometimes leads folks uh, you know, on the researcher side to say, okay, here's this research question I have. I'm going to go, I got to go get these schools on board mm-hmm. and go in there and collect the data. And then they leave and there's no relationship still there. Yeah. So part of what I, I feel like I'm doing that makes it different is that we have this ongoing relationship year after year where we continue to do this work. We've done this work without funding. We've done this work trying to get funding together. Um, and I think that that's, that that's a part of it. Um, in terms of it being education and service, we're trying to help, uh, you know, part of it is that the teachers who are at the Freedom School are are usually, uh, students. They're usually college students. And so part of it is, uh, they get paid. We have in the past had them paid through AmeriCorps, 
which uh, pays them a small stipend that's actually meant to be like at the um, barely above the poverty level or something like that of the area that they're serving. So it's meant to be like a service activity, right? When you're an AmeriCorps um, person. And also our teachers at the Freedom Schools are called servant leader interns. So there's really this focus on serving the students. And then as the part of the program being embedded within our colleges of education, serving the college students who are learning to teach in culturally relevant ways and serving the grad students who are learning to do the research in culturally relevant ways um, so that our findings will be useful to the folks that we're working with. And we always also bring in our director of the Freedom Schools to talk with us about what they want to know more about. What do they want to have researched so that so that, that can help us with our thinking. So it sounds like when you start a project with a school, it may end up differently than what you had thought going in. You may want to research one thing, but giving that potential yes. control to the director or having the servant leaders involved in that, that, that probably yes, requires some got pivoting. It. Yeah. Flexibility, Flexibility is the key thing. And that we're trying to help um, our, our new researchers understand that when we go into the schools, we don't want to disrupt what they're doing and cause undue stress and so when, when we negotiate about when we would do certain kinds of assessments or what kinds of assessments we would do, right, we work with them about when is a good time to pull students, when is not a good time. If the teacher says, no, not now, then we respect that and we don't take them then. And um, if there's an interest from a, a graduate student to do a study about a certain thing and they want or see it at the, at the Freedom Schools camp being sort of a, a different way, um, then we would negotiate with them to figure out what's the best for both, right, to make it work. So that makes it a lot different, I think, than the way some research is done in, in education or other other fields, right, in terms of negotiating. Do you think it's better to find the school before the research project? In a, in a way, yes. You need to have those real contacts in the school or the district, you know, in terms of knowing what it is they will be, you know, interested in and amenable to um, so that you're not just this outsider coming in, right? You don't want to position yourself as somebody who thinks you know better, right? I don't want to be the person coming in um, as an outsider saying, I think I know better. That is like one of the ways that I think systemic racism and other problems in the academy persist, mm. what you want to do is come in and position yourself as a learner. And I always come in and position myself as I'm amazed by what you're doing. I want to learn more about this Freedom Schools camp. I want to learn more about how you do culturally relevant literacy instruction. I want to learn more about how you do culturally relevant classroom management so that I can learn more and help share that with others and, and learn and expand on those practices. Sounds like that gets back to that idea of, of the teachers being servant leader interns, that they they have a power and a voice in this research too. And yes, yeah. and sometimes the servant leader interns actually at the same time are fellows in our training, uh, research training program, or become fellows in our training program once they see the researchers in there and they get really inspired. So there's this great um, interplay between those roles, which is exciting. Yeah, that is really exciting. I, 
I feel like uh, many times educators, you know, in high schools and, and remedial schools, they, they're not given a lot of respect and you, you sort of, you have to want to be in there as, as your mission uh, because it's, it's not going to be rewarding in other ways. Yeah. You want people to be your colleagues in all these different roles and positions and, and treat them as real colleagues, right? So value that input and interaction and collaboration that you can do with practicing teachers, with administrators, with graduate students, with, um, I'm hoping in the future, with the students themselves. So that's sort of the next place we want to do, uh, go with this is, is doing real participatory action research. Um, we hope to have a afternoon session with some of the children at the Freedom Schools. We call them, they're called scholars. So we hope to teach them about research methods, why we're there, um, what kind of data we're collecting and why, what kinds of data they'd want to collect and figure out um, some sort of question that they want to answer and help them actually answer it. So really treating people uh, as equals in this you know, research partnership, I think is very valuable. So you talked about building a connection with the school and really making that a long-term type of relationship. How hard is that to maintain? I think it can be very hard because there's a lot of turnover. Um, in terms of administration, you know, if a, a superintendent, you know, in our in our situation is voted out and that person changes, the principals at different schools get shifted around. And so you build a relationship and then they move. But I think the longer you're involved with folks, the more people you'll know in different positions and they can help connect you. But um, but I think that can be difficult because there is so much change um, that happens I think luckily at the uh, the FAMU DRS, there's it's a smaller sort of uh, pod, right? It's its own district, um, and so there's this autonomy that they have that makes that sort of a little bit easier to work with. Um, they also already have that mission of research, right? The Developmental Research School. So I think that helps. Um, at FSU, we also have the the FSUs. So um, I think that that can help make that sustained uh, piece a little bit um, easier to do. Although it's you know it's never easy. There's there's lots of communications right that you need to maintain. When you're collaborating, it's not just with another research faculty member, but it's with those you know servant leader interns. It's with the principal and your students too. Right. What are some tips you might have for uh, faculty who are looking to get better at collaborating or even just start from square one? Hmm. Well, I've, I've always found that we do our best work when we have a team where we have lots of different perspectives where people can bring their strengths and divide up work and give each other feedback. So I, I've always tended to work that way. Uh, you know, coming from grad school, working closely with my doctoral advisor, you know, who was my mentor, you know, there's always somebody else there. And I think I, I appreciated so much what he did for me. I tried to do that same thing with my students. And so I think having that attitude of, of mentoring um, is really valuable. And, and just thinking about like how together you'll be able to do something sort of 
bigger, right. Than, than you could do on your own. Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm. that's where the service piece comes in, right? Yeah. Um, because you're doing this research without funding. You're doing this research in your spare time and with your students, your students may not be getting paid. They're doing it to learn something, right? They're doing it to help out. And you do that work before you get any funding. And, and you build that trust and you learn about each other. And then you'll be more successful when you do get that funding. You'll be actually more successful in actually getting the funding. Yeah, you look like a more promising candidate and then you're already in the trenches doing the work. So it's not like suddenly I have the money and I don't know where to start. <laughs> right. Exactly. And then there's this pressure, right? And then there's this unequal partnership or something. Yeah. I could see how that might get more controlling than collaborative if you're under right. the gun with time and money. Were you ever afraid going into that service and not having the grant money yet? Were you ever afraid that it might not be a fundable thing? <laughs> oh yeah. We had this, uh, we had this huge fundraising campaign. We, uh, to make the freedom schools happen, which is not cheap. Mm. We actually had to raise money, uh, hundreds and hundreds and well, thousands of dollars to make it work. So we were asking everybody we knew, um, to donate and doing big campaigns. And we got ourselves on the news and um, we were doing all kinds of stuff to get people to to help raise money so that we could do the camp. Because um, I think at that point it was like $750 per child to be able to have the training for the teachers and the books um, so that we could provide it. Uh, so it was like, we just believed that the three of us believed we could do it. And we just fundraise like crazy. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but we knew we had the, you know, the people power. We knew we had people who were passionate about it and would do the work and they were doing the work for free. We just had to make sure the camp happened for the children. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we were raising the money for. That's awesome. And then, and now look at where it's come. Like, yeah. So embedded in the FAMU DRS uh, school, they're able to use title one funding and other sorts of funding that they already have for summer programming to help us so that we don't have to raise thousands of dollars every summer, which really uh, helps make it go. Yeah. What would you like to leave faculty with today or our listeners with today? Follow your passions, what interests you, and find people who are interested in the same sort of values and goals so that you can team together with your sort of unique right, skills and passions to really make a big difference in whatever field you're in. I think I would tell you to go for it. Journeys in Research is a production of the Office of Research Development at Florida State University. Stay up to date with content by subscribing to us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, visit us on our homepage, ord.fsu.edu. We'd love to hear from you. 
Please send questions or suggestions for episodes to ORD at FSU.edu with the word podcast in the title. Music for this episode by Ketza. Special thanks to Damonley Dorsey, Cece Pierre, Robert Reeser, Catherine Yawn, and our guest, Alicia Warig. I'm Evangeline Coker. Thanks for listening.